two years. I'm, I'm blown away by the blessing that it has been. Uh, what started as an idea in uh, 2008, uh, 2018, not 2008, uh, and prayed over for three years through leadership and ministers, was planted in 2021. Uh, now, if you would agree, has been, has been a huge blessing in 2023. Uh, you all have been such a blessing to me and my family and the staff's family. Uh, but what has been even better than that is I have watched you all be a blessing to each other in each other's lives. And I have absolutely loved that. Where you guys meet in each other's homes and have meals. And when somebody's struggling, you bring casseroles and meals to each other. And you pray over each other and you pick each other's kids up from school and you help out and you help each other move, which is miserable, and you do it anyways. And it's been a huge blessing just watching each other do that over the past few years. Um, but when we plant uh, this year, I, when I was planning, me and Drew were planning this year out, I really wanted to kick this semester off on our anniversary with the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, um, which is commonly titled the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this Sermon on the Mount is a very long teaching. Now, you can read it really quick. It's only about two chapters long in the book of Matthew. Uh, but I would argue it is the most important teaching of Jesus. Uh, what Jesus talks about over the next two chapters, I believe, is so important. And we're going to take our time to walk through that. And here's why it's so important. Uh, because many Christians can quote John 3.16. And you, you're probably starting to quote in your mind right now, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever, I love how the Bible slams three words together, believed in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And that is something that we should get and be able to quote because it is the most important thing. That's why we have life. That's why we have forgiveness. But for most of people in church, there's a disconnect with this verse and the rest of Jesus' teachings on why it's so important. And if you don't understand uh, why Jesus taught or why this Sermon on the Mount is so important, the rest of the 22 chapters of Matthew are probably don't make a lot of sense or might be a little confusing. Uh, you probably think Jesus is like super awesome and dope for healing a bunch of people and for kicking the butts of the Jewish leaders, which we love to read, um, which he did all of those, but there's so much more to it than just that. There's so much more than he, in his healings and so much more than him just correcting different Pharisees of the time. So what the Sermon on the Mount is, and I, and I want this, us to understand this because we're going to be in this for a long time, and we need to view his teaching through this, that the, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' teaching, this is what it is, Jesus is teaching on a whole new way of living as citizens of heaven. And let's make sure we do not miss that. That for the rest of his time and teaching throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he is telling all of the people following him that if you are a Christian, then this is your expectation on life. If you are a citizen of heaven, which we all are if you're a Christian, then this is the way of life that you are expected to live. But I would love for us over this time that I know we have a lot of teaching over the years. If you've been going to church, you've, you've had a lot of different teachings on this. But I would just ask that you open your mind to what the text has for us. That what, what it says in the Greek, in the original language, and in historical context of what he's saying, just open your minds up to that. As we always do, we're going to try our best to stay true to the text, and we're going to try to figure out how in the, in the world as Christians to, to live our life the way of Jesus, which is so important. 
So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Matthew 5. Um, if you don't have your Bible, that is completely okay. Uh, you can take out your phone. You can scan the QR codes. The, the information is on the Bible app as well. And if you just don't want to deal with your phone, which I'm all for during church, uh, the stuff will be on the screen behind you and you can follow along. So if you would, uh, would you read with me uh, in Matthew 5? We're going to be 1 through 10, just through the Beatitudes. So this is what it says. Now when Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on the mountainside, and he sat down with his disciples, came to him, and and he began to teach them. And he said this as he welcomed them, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be children, be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What we need to remember in this, when Jesus is teaching this crowd of people, is Jesus is in the territory of Galilee. We talked about over the past couple weeks that he he left where he was to go to Capernaum to kind of set up his home base. Um, But Capernaum is a really poor area. It's filled with outcasts, those who could not make it in the big city, uh, those living paycheck to paycheck, those who were were tradespeople. Uh, um, From there, he went out throughout the entire area of Galilee, and he started to preach... This, this good news of the kingdom of heaven is near. And then he went and showed what that looked like, where he went out and he started to, to heal the sick, and he started to heal the hurting, and he prayed for those people. And because of that, news spread through all of the territory, and people came from all over to be healed and to be prayed over because for the first time, those who were sick and poor had something going for them, and they wanted to see what all of this, this stuff was all about. And if you want more information about that, we, had two, we have an hour and a half teaching over two weeks over that. You can go back and listen to those sermons. But with, the, with all of these people following him who were poor and sick and outcast, they were just following him around just to see what he's going to do next in them, he went up to the mountainside and he began to teach. And that's where the Sermon on the Mount starts. But one quick Bible nerd thing for you. For my Bible nerds out there, I have to throw this in you. You guys are already smiling. You have to remember that Jewish, uh, Matthew was a Jew. He's a good Jewish man. And what he did is he would write in the way to kind of pique the ears of Jewish people. So he would just throw in tidbits of information um, that would kind of draw the Jewish people in uh, from older Jewish writings. So the mountainside of Jesus going to that is very important. And it has this imagery that we've seen all the time. What happens in the mountainside or on the mountaintop in teachings of Old Testament is that is where God either spoke or showed a word to somebody. And you can probably think of these, of these teachings right now uh, where Abraham and Moses during the burning bush and Moses during the Ten Commandments and Elijah with the burning fire. Uh, that is all the things that happened on a mountaintop. The mountaintop is a great image for that. So we have Jesus, which this is amazing, Jesus going up on the mountainside. And instead of receiving a word from God or people hearing or seeing God, he sits in the position of God and he opens his mouth and brings the word as though he is God, which I love. 
For everybody else, I'm sorry, I had to bring that up. I was knee-deep in commentaries this week, and I just loved that imagery. Uh, But there is a word at the beginning of all of this that we need to understand before we go, which is the word blessed. Now, blessing or blessed is something that we say quite often, uh, but this word is used a ton. And actually, this one word in, in the Greek is used all over teachings, not just in the book of Matthew, not just in the Bible, but this word was just commonly used. You can even use non-biblical or non-God uh, texts back in the day, first century stuff, and they would use this. It was, um, it was a commonly used word, uh, but blessing is something that we have a definition for. Uh, this is something that, that we use often, and we commonly understand it as like a gift from God, or like an ordain, or ordaining, or like a blessing. We kind, of, we kind of seen this where God went and blessed people. He laid his hand on, healed him, like a blessing of that. Um, this word specifically does not mean that. Like it's not a blessing uh, from God. But the Greek word for this is the word makarios. And I have a definition for you. It's being fortunate, happy, or because of a certain circumstance. Um, so this word we actually don't have in our English dictionary. Uh, this word was basically like a greeting or a salutation. Uh, we we kind of see we kind of use this in the old church days. If you went to an older church, people would walk into a room and say blessings, like like hi, I'm here. Blessings to this area. Um, if if they went to a, a birth of a baby back in the day and they and they kind of enter into that room, they would say like Makarios, blessed are you, like like hello, blessings, welcome, welcome. They would say that as well. Uh, you would also see like in a sarcastic way, which is like my favorite way to use Makarios. So when I'm playing like when I'm playing golf with Drew, um, pray for Drew. He's not feeling good today, but. Uh, uh, when I'm playing uh, golf with Drew, he's a way better golfer than me. So when we're on like a par three and I hit a good and I like finally like make it on the green off of, off of the tee box and Drew like nails it like a, a foot from the pin and I look at him, I'm like, Makarios, you know, blessings, good for you, blessed are you. Or when I was in college, uh, Kaylee would show me all the A's she would get on tests for the hundredth time and I'd be like, Makarios, you know, blessed are you, congratulations. But this, but this word blessings uh, or welcoming that Jesus is doing, he's kind of welcoming this odd group of people. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a group of, of people which is titled the Beatitudes in our Bibles. These people would have not been on a list anywhere. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, the meek, those who hunger for righteousness, and if you're new to Jesus' teachings and you've never read this part of the Sermon on the Mount or you've been like me for most of my life where I saw a list, I'm like, nope, and flip the page. Um, you would be thinking like, Jesus, are you crazy? Like, have you mourned recently? Like, I wouldn't walk into a funeral and be like, Makarios, blessed are you. No, I wouldn't do that. Jesus, what are you trying to say? I remember when I was in college and every single year, my grandfather would sit us down before the meal. It was always before the meal. And he would recite the Beatitudes to us and say, this is the most important teaching of Jesus. And every time I'm just thinking, this is so boring. I just want to eat my apple pie. What does this have to do with my life whatsoever? And maybe you've thought that before. Uh, Maybe you've wanted to eat the apple pie and not wanted to read the Beatitudes before. But you see this list and you instantly kind of just want to flip the page, but we really need to sit in here because this is so important. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain what this list is not, 
And then, we're, and then I'm going to explain what this list is and why it's so important. Now, many teachers and preachers uh, over generations have kind of made this group of people into virtues, um, as though uh, we need to put ourselves in this situation, and, and we need, this is how we receive blessing um, from God. Um, but throughout my study and, and looking at this, I, I don't think that's it at all. Now, I could be wrong, in my, in my humble opinion, this group is not a group of virtues at all. And if, and if we have taught that, I think it is a slight misinterpretation. And if there's any old uh, church leaders in here that have taught on that, uh, I ask for grace in this moment. Um, but there is a list here of, that we need to go through. What it has been taught in the past is this, that those who are poor in spirit are those who are desperate for God. And those who mourn are those who mourn over the sin of the world. And, and when we talk about the meek, we, we, we refer to them as those who have power but do not use it. And those who hunger for, for, and thirst for righteousness are those who ache for more of God. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't do those things. If you've heard, if, and if you read it like that and interpreted it that way, we should do all those things. We, we, we should um, depend on God more. We, we should mourn over the sin of this world. And if, and if we have power, if we've been blessed with that, we should not bear that over other people. That is, that is not the way of Jesus. And we, our hearts should ache for more of God. That is something that we should do. But blessed are the poor in spirit. The word poor there is patokos, um, which, which means or is translated those who have nothing those who are actually poor, um, those who have no money. So poor in spirit are those who have no spiritual zeros in the category. Some scholars describe them as spiritual zeros in their life. From the original Greek, we can basically say that those who are poor in spirit, what he means is they're poor. Those who are, those who are living on the streets those who are living paycheck to paycheck, those who have to work through sickness and injury because if they don't, they just won't survive. Those begging on the streets. Those who are drowning so far in debt that they are in fear that if they stop, then they will drown so much and they will never get out. Those basically that have no tangible thing to give on a spiritual level or tangible level whatsoever. Jesus looks at those people and says, Blessed are you. It says, those, blessed those who, uh, who mourn. Is anybody sad today? Is anyone depressed? Is anybody working through something of a loss or, or a job or a job change? Is anybody grieving today? A loss of a child? loss of a parent? A friend? A miscarriage? You know, bad news? Loss of a job? A friend that just can't get it all together? A divorce or a divorce close to your friends? Jesus looks at this group of people and says, blessed are you. Blessed are the meek. Uh, the word meek does not mean power under control. Now the reason people would translate it that way is because meekness has six different translations uh, in the Bible, and one of those actually does mean power and control. So it is a, a correct translation. But what, what Jesus is referring to and quoting here is a verse from Psalms. And when you look at that language, what, what David was referring to in the books of Psalms is a Hebrew word that translates meek as humble. And what actually 
is those who are under power in humbleness. What he is translating and referring to is when the when the heap not the Egyptians put the Egyptians in a humble place. So those not necessarily have any power at all, but are being pushed down by the power around them. And if you remember, the people that Jesus is talking to are those who are poor. They have nothing. They're being taxed up to 70, 80, 90% of their income because of the Roman rule. And he's looking at all of these people and saying, you have no power, but, but blessed are you welcome. And those who are blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. See, righteousness is defined as those living in right living according to God. Or right standing with God. Jesus is talking about those who do not have it all together, but desperately desire in their heart to do the right thing. It's the person who's in jail, who's just trying to turn it around, who made a lot of bad decisions, but they just ache. They just want to do the right thing. It's the addicted who sit in their addiction and they just keep falling over and over again. It's those who make bad decisions and just put themselves in a bad situation. But if you actually sit them down and talk to them, they so desperately want to live a life of righteousness and stop this bad behavior. And Jesus is looking at all those people and saying, blessed are you, Makarios, welcome. See, I believe none of these are virtues. No matter how we swing it, I don't think Jesus wants us to strive to be in any of these categories. Now, the second half of these are closer to virtues, specifically merciful uh, people who have mercy and the peacemakers. But if you look at this group once again and you read it in context, these two group of people aren't actually welcomed by these people. Now, remember, the, the Jewish people are under injustice, so a peacemaker is a person against the cause. They want a zealot, they don't want a peacemaker. They don't want somebody to have peace with the Roman people. They want somebody to come in and destroy the Roman guard. And those who have, or have shown mercy to what's going around, it's the exact same thing. Mercy doesn't make people rich. Mercy doesn't get people out of poverty. But a zealot does, who, who leads the charge to get these people. A war hero does. A peacemaker doesn't get people out of poverty. But let me make this something clear. Jesus is not saying any of this is okay. He's not saying that, that, that we should be poor or we should remove all of our power and just be under the persecution. He doesn't want those things. He's not okay with poverty or people being sick. He actually elevates uh, those people. But what he is doing, and he's looking at all of these people, those who are poor, living in poverty, that have nothing, those who are thrown out, pushed up, beat out, those who are sick or those who need direction. The bottom of, of the society in the hierarchy, and he greets them with makarios. Blessed are you. Welcome. What Jesus is doing here is he's radically redefining who is blessed in this society. I would say that this, this list is actually more radical today than even back then. And the reason I say that is because whether we see it or not, whoever is welcome or blessed in this country is a very small amount of people. And even in that country, it was even a smaller amount of people. 
And the rest of us are just chasing after something that is basically this moving target. And we think we are chasing after what is blessing, but in reality, we're just chasing after happiness in our life. If you don't believe me, how many times have you thought, you know, once I get this done, or once I'm healed from this, or once I have enough money, once whatever is over, then I will be okay, then I will make it. As we've talked about before, happiness is this ever-moving club of people that the entrance fee to the club constantly changing is just what depends on whatever pop culture or culture is telling of this day. See, in first century Jewish culture, that would have been you having a job, marriage, kids, specifically more than one, and a boy, no sickness, no blemishes in your body, a pure bloodline of just Jewish, following to the law to a T, making sure you follow everything in the Old Testament, and you would have this strong sense and desire in the back of your mind to overthrow the government because the Jewish people are the ones who should be on top. But today, we have gotten to a place in society where, where if you have a family, you might even have kids, you have a good paying job, you have no debt, you have friends, you have a church family, but your life doesn't look like the front photo of Kentucky Living, Living Magazine, and therefore, for whatever reason, we feel like an outsider. We look on social media and we see one of those people just post a photo and we might feel good about ourselves, but immediately we do not feel happy or blessed because our life does not look or feel like that. So what we keep doing is we just work and we work and we fight until we reach a point where we feel like we're part of the club and we made it. Now we can finally accept ourselves and feel happy. Can you think of a time that you so desperately wanted something and you thought if you got it, then you would be happy? Then you made it? like this empty pit in your stomach or heart or soul or whatever it is, that whatever that longing is or that emptiness, once you got that, then it would be filled and you would be blessed or welcome. See, I have one of those stories. I remember the very first time in my life that I felt that hole and I wanted it. For me, it's, it's kind of hilarious, but it was a pair of shoes. That's what I wanted. And if you know me and you, and you know, know who I am, that's probably hilarious to you because I'm extremely insecure about everything I wear. So a shoes is like a big deal for me. But the, those shoes were, were it for me. That's what I wanted. And what they were were the 2002 Allen Iverson The Answer Shoes. They were an all-white low top, and they were supposed to make me play better basketball. They were supposed to make me run faster. They were supposed to make me jump higher. They were literally, literally supposed to be the answer to all of my problems, not only in the fashion world with all of my friends, but also on the back basketball court. But the problem is, man, they were expensive, which I guess they're not that expensive because of inflation. But at the time, they were so expensive. They were $120. Now, that's expensive, but... I've heard parents with kids and shoes today, but my parents, they looked at me and said, you want these shoes, you have to pay for them, which I was gasped about, but it's a natural thing. I have kids, I understand now. But here's a photo of them. Oh, it's already up there. Here's the photo of them. These were supposed to be I made it shoes at the age of 11. Those, but if you look at these shoes, 
And if you know anything about these shoes, you probably don't for a reason. These shoes were terrible. They were awful. They were so bad that it took me 30 minutes to search on Google just to find a photo. Like, they tried to erase these shoes from society. They were so bad that if they got the slightest bit of water on them, they started to peel. Uh, they had no ventilation in them. As you can see, it was this one solid piece. Uh, they were so hot. And to make it worse, there was a zipper, as you can see, on the front. So when you ran, they, it flapped in the wind, and you sounded like you had bells on the front of your shoes. These shoes sucked. I hated them. And the worst thing about them is, even worse, is at the end you see those two little tips on the back of the shoe. If you put your foot in wrong, those tips would bury down into the shoe. And then you felt like you had two balls on the back of your foot as you ran. I hated these shoes. They did not live up to the hype. And as you can see, they were absolutely ugly. I don't know why I thought these were the ones. But that's the gospel of America, right? right? Once you reach a certain moment, then you're in. For me, it was the shoes. If I get these shoes, I'm in. I'm in the crowd. And, and, and in middle school, I, I know that, that this still exists. If those, and, and, and those who are, have kids in elementary school, I know that they're coming home from school asking for certain types of shoes, jackets, pants, etc. And once they reach high school, it doesn't change much. It's clothes, popularity, good grades, being part of the band, making a sports team. When in college, it's not much different, I promise you. When you're a young adult, it's career, boyfriend, girlfriend, marriage, buying a big home, maybe having kids. And then you have this big gap sometimes when you hit 35, and then you can make it because you can be president of the United States. After that, not, we shouldn't, I don't know if we desire to be that. Drew does for some whatever reason. But after 35, like, what else? What if you didn't make it by 35? You know, if you're lucky enough to reach a place, whatever that is for you, where you feel like you made it, where, you, where the empty feeling in your heart, you, you filled it with some sort, something that you accomplished or bought or, or got married or had kids or, or whatever it is, did you feel welcome? Like the next day, did you, did you walk around and feel welcome? Did you, did you feel blessed? Was there somebody waiting for you at every corner going, congratulations, Macarius, blessed are you? I bet you the next day it probably didn't feel much different. Because it's a new day, it's a new bar, and it's just another level has been set for you in front of you in America and there's just more work to do, to be honest. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. But the gospel of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, the entry fee, the welcome nature of the kingdom of heaven is honestly just admitting to yourself of who you are. And that there is a God, and it's not yourself. But His name is Jesus. And that's where we get the phrase, you know, come as you are. Because we get this massive list of people who are not welcome in most of our society, especially back then. And Jesus is just sitting there and saying, Makarios, blessed are you, welcome. But Jesus is sitting in front of all of these people who have never made it. And honestly, we'll never make it in society. And he shares the beginning and welcome of the gospel message as though he's the one standing at the door to the castle 
where he gives his manifesto on who is welcome in the kingdom. And he says, hey you, the poor, you have nothing? That's okay. Come on in. You're welcome. Makarios, blessed are you. Are, are you mourning this morning? Are you sad? It's okay. Blessed are you. Come into this kingdom. You are welcome. You don't have it all together. You've made bad choices and you feel like you can't make it all together. You just can't string a couple weeks together. It's okay. Blessed are you, Makarios. Blessed are you. You are welcome. You don't have any power. You don't have any say. You're the bottom of your job. You've been treated unfair. You've been, you've been treated unjustly. Blessed are you. Come, you are welcome. What I love, and if, and if you look at the teachings of Jesus, He says all of these people are welcome. And over the next two chapters, He shows after He welcomes these people in, an entirely new way to live. Jesus doesn't wait for them after His teaching to be like, hey, you need to follow all these rules. And if you do and you like it, then blessed are you. Then you can enter in. No, He, he welcomes them first and says, you are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. Come on in. And what we need not to miss here is that these people, the poor, the sick, those who did not have any power, when they left the Sermon on the Mount, they were still poor. You know, they were still sick. Uh, they, they probably still messed up quite a bit after they left. But now, instead of being the outcast, now instead of not being welcomed, Jesus looks at all of these people and says, blessed are you. Makarios, blessed are you, welcome, you are welcome in the kingdom of heaven. As though Jesus is standing at the door of his kingdom and opens it wide open to everybody, including those who are not welcome in society, and says, you are welcome, come on in. I'm going to end with this, Psalm 41-3 through says this, I love this imagery. It says, I waited patiently for, for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, and he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. And many will see the fear of the Lord and put their trust in him. Jesus in the beginning of his gospel message and the reason that his message spread so fast is because he gathered a bunch of people that were literally stuck. Stuck in society. Stuck in a constant cycle. Could not take care of themselves, their families. Could not receive any bit of wealth or healing at all. And he took them out of that place and placed them on a rock on a level with everybody else where everybody else is even and everybody else is welcome. And he gave them a new song, which is the gospel message. He said, blessed are you. And now you can look at other people and say, blessed are you, welcome in. And now we have the church, which is the most beautiful thing in the world.
which we're celebrating two years today, where we can look at our entire generation, an entire society, Kentucky, the United States, the whole world, and we can say, blessed are you. You are welcome. Come in and receive the good news of Jesus Christ. So I don't know where you feel today. Are you sad? Are you mourning? Are you having a hard time? Have you made a couple bad decisions in your life that just make you feel like you're down? Have you felt like you just haven't made it or you haven't been in the in crowd? Or you maybe you were in the in crowd at one point and for whatever reason, you're just not anymore. The greatest thing about Jesus is he says, welcome. Makarios, blessed are you. You are welcome in the kingdom of God and you can receive the fullness of blessing that he gives. And the reason John 3.16 is so important is because that same person, just a few years later, took on sin for himself and died on a cross. And he rose again three days later. So everyone who enters into the kingdom of heaven through Jesus has the ability to live eternally with him, which is the ending of the gospel message. From beginning to all is welcome to the end, which is welcome for eternity, that is the beginning. So God, as we continue to study through the Beatitudes and through the welcoming of Jesus, which is continue on next week, and then through this entirely new way to live as Christians, I ask that we, that we are blessed by this teaching. We're blessed by your son just welcoming everybody, not just the rich and those who have power and those who are actually blessed by society, but he goes to both ends of the spectrum and says, look, you are all blessed, you are all welcome, and that is the greatest message of the beginning of the gospel message. But it's even far greater when we reach the end of the gospel message where we get to live eternity with your son. God, thank you so much for two years of Elevate, and I can't wait for a hundred more years. God, thank you so much for all of these people being faithful and loving on each other and being a blessing to each other. It has been a blessing. God, you are so good, and I ask this all in your son's name.